there. It's Gary Parish. It's Wednesday, February 28, 2018. Welcome back to the Ion College Basketball Podcast. I got Matt Norlander here with me, and I suppose we will start with what remains the biggest story in college basketball, and that's the Sean Miller situation at Arizona. We touched on it on the last podcast, how there are some obvious questions, at least, about the ESPN report that claims Miller was caught on a wiretap discussing a pay-for-play scheme with Christian Dawkins involving DeAndre Ayton. Miller, of course, has said he's confident that he'll be, quote, vindicated. And if nothing else, um, this is a fact, ESPN has already adjusted the timing of the call from 2017 to spring 2016 and then to just 2016 in general. So that's strange. Doesn't mean the story isn't true, but it does mean the story wasn't perfect from the jump. And there are still, you know, at this moment, more questions than answers. ESPN has provided uh, zero additional details since the initial report, despite all of the questions. And Mark Schleybaugh, uh, the man who wrote the story hasn't tweeted a word in days, which might mean nothing, but it's certainly not normal relative to his Twitter habits. He basically tweets every day of his life and yet hasn't tweeted, I believe, since Sunday. Meantime, Arizona has a decision to make. Miller and school officials reportedly met Monday to discuss his future. Nothing was resolved, far as we know, at the time of this recording. And though it's possible something will be resolved by the time you're listening to this podcast, which would It'll be less than ideal, but what can you do? Um, I still wanted to start on this topic, and I wanted to start by asking Norlander following very simple question that might have a complex answer. What would you do if you were Arizona? How would you handle this right now? I mean, the answer to that question pertains to details that I just simply don't have that Arizona officials must have at this point, Parrish. And you make a good point in that, you know, I'm glad we're t- continuing to talk about this Um because we got it. It's Wednesday. The, we got to get this podcast out, and we don't. It, the next Arizona game is Thursday. I expect more to come out, and maybe we won't hear anything more until Thursday. Uh, but we acknowledge that by the time some of you listen to this, some of the context of this discussion uh, might be outdated because we'll have more information. But potentially not. If I was Arizona, I have to have a certain amount of information here that the general public doesn't have. That's clearly the case, given that. Miller still has not been put on administrative leave. He's still essentially day-to-day, even though reports surfaced, and I heard from someone that said Miller would, did not conduct Arizona's practice on Monday, and his status is clearly one uh, where he is not truly active with the team right now. That is still short of official administrative leave because we haven't gotten word from that. Um, if I have from Miller and his legal team enough of a case and a strong enough of a case that shows here's why the, the report could be misleading. Here is why I am not on that call saying what that report says, um, you know, and I'm providing a strong enough case. If I'm Arizona, I'm taking all of this into account. I've already I've already known about the fact that the FBI has come to my campus. It's, it's looked through what it's needed to look through. It's investigated Miller. It's investigated Aiton to this point. So there is – It's worth reminding listeners that months ago, Arizona was entrenched in this uh, to, I'm sure, a a very stressful degree. And obviously, this story coming out has added a lot of public attention and public pressure to this. But they very well could have already been dealing with a number of factors tied to this story. It was just behind the scenes. Um, That being said, if Arizona opts to negotiate uh, exiting terms for Miller, which could still be on the table, or an administrative leaves, there might be something incriminating on the call 
that Miller won't necessarily be able to survive at Arizona. May or may not. And here's the situation I would I would lay out with that. And I'm not saying this happened. All I'm saying is I could see if this was the case, the, the situation I'm about to present, I could see why then he's going to have to leave Arizona. If he's on the call with Dawkins and Dawkins is talking casually, jokingly, seriously, however way that he could be discussing significant money values with Miller regarding Aiton or any other players in general, and Miller is not outright, you know, refuting the call, you know, trying to change the subject or whatever, which, by the way, you know, for Miller to be on a call with Dawkins in general is somewhat surprising, but when you're a head coach, you sometimes just have to deal with guys like this because you have to maintain relationships um, for one reason or another. But if that call were to ever get out... And it simply is Dawkins having a call and Miller's a party to that call, even if he's not offering up money himself or accepting money. It could be a bad enough look publicly where he's got to he's got to move on from Arizona. That's only if, in fact, the call would produce such an appearance, because publicly it would be a bad look for Sean to be on that phone call and you're going to have widespread skepticism and cynicism like, well, okay, if he was on this call, how many other calls was he on that were similar to this? And how can, how can Arizona continue to have him there? That's, that's what's at stake for him potentially to not be incriminated by the phone call but still have a really bad look publicly and how he could still not be at Arizona even if he never actually said what was reported. If I'm Arizona, I'm taking into account all this information, and I better be absolutely certain – of what I have, so that I'm so as a university, uh, I'm not at greater risk for greater risk for potential lawsuits and what's further to come. The only other thing here is that if in fact Arizona is trying to deduce if it's going to cut Miller loose, obviously bureaucratically there could be some red tape, board of trustees, things that could still have to be done that should be expedited, but potentially just, you know, there are many meetings that are taking place with very powerful people in that state this week, and that's why we don't have more action right there. But I will say this. I have no idea what the next statement from Arizona is going to be. I won't even pretend to guess because I just simply don't have enough information as to what the university is truly dealing with behind the scenes. A um, few things. I actually have no issue at all with Sean Miller on the phone with Christian Dawkins, if only because, as you, uh, ref, you know, as you referenced, you know, when you're a head coach or an assistant coach at the high major level, perhaps any level, um, you have to talk with people like this. You know, I've talked to two different coaches over, you know, since the weekend, neither of whom are involved in this specific case. Um, and one I talked to publicly on my radio show was Tom Crean, the former Indiana coach. And I asked him, I was like, how, how often did you have to, you know, talk with, you know, people like Christian Dawkins, if not Christian Dawkins, people like Christian Dawkins. He's like, there, there's a thousand people like Christian Dawkins, maybe not out doing all the same things that Christian Dawkins was doing or trying to do. But there, there's a, a thousand people in this sport who are around players and they essentially have this is the way Tom described it. They have information for you and information is currency. It, you know, they might not know everything about everything, but they know a lot of things about a lot of things. And you talk to people like that because they can sometimes give you the best read on which way a recruitment's going. You know, are we wasting our time with this kid or can we get involved with this kid? 
you know, is it a, is it a deal? Is it not a deal? And so you, you just, if you're not talking to people like this, these people that are, you know, quote unquote, hangers on or movers and shakers, hustlers, then you're, you're not going to be very good at your job. It is, it is unfortunately part of, of, of recruiting. And another coach told me, because this coach told me he's actually been on the phone with Christian Dawkins. He knows Christian Dawkins. And he said, the reason you talk to Christian Dawkins is for the same reasons. Like he, he knew a lot of people. He might not have had as much power and control as he um, liked to suggest, but he did know a lot of things. And, you know, I'm in the information business. You know, he's like this person I was talking to. He said, you're a reporter. How many people a day or a week do you talk to that, you know, you don't really you wouldn't be talking to them under under different circumstances. But because you were after information, you take that phone call, you return that text message like any any reporter knows what that's like. And so, he, you know, this coach said that it's similar in this way. And what you said about uh, Christian Dawkins and Sean Miller, if they are on a phone call on a wiretap and Christian Dawkins is saying some wild stuff that Sean's not immediately shutting it down and it could be a bad look for Sean. I agree it wouldn't come off well, but I would also submit that that would be normal behavior because this one coach told me this. He said, I've been on the phone sometimes with guys and you're trying to get a feel for recruitment. If you can get involved with this kid, um, where is it headed? Are we wasting our time? And he said, sometimes these people, they will say some wild stuff. And he said, I'll be honest. Um, you know, if they if they wiretapped every one of my phone calls, you wouldn't hear me shutting down every single time a guy said something like that. Like if I'm trying to figure out what's going on with recruitment and this, uh, you know, AAU coach or uh, just uh, or, or uncle or whomever, you know, says something like, well, you know, um, school X came in and, and they've offered this, this, this and this. Um, but, you know, um, you know, my dude doesn't really want to go there. So if you could come in and maybe do 75 and this and this, and then help me get some money for a, a summer team, then, um, you know, then maybe we could get this done. And this coach said, under that situation, under, under those circumstances, I might say, I hear you. I hear you. Well, listen, let me, um, let me make some phone calls. I'll get back to you. And, um, you know, we'll, 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 see, um, we'll see where everything goes. But just keep in touch with me. And then just get off the phone. And he says, when I hang up that phone, I know, okay, I'm out of that. Okay, that's done. But I didn't just shut him down because it's awkward. Um, it could be damaging, you know, because you still might need this person as a source somewhere down the road. So I guess my point is if Sean, if, if Christian Dawkins is on this wiretap saying some wild stuff and Sean's just not shutting him down, I think that's kind of normal behavior. You know, under what circumstances would somebody say something wild to you on the phone and you could go, listen, I heard what you just said. Obviously, that is in violation of NCAA rules, and I can't believe you would even broach that topic with me. It's just not the way most people would react. You just get off the phone. You understand what just happened, and then if you deal, then you might go deal. But if you don't deal, you just you know where it stands, and now you can move on and, and be done with it. So I, I think that's an important context to maybe understand. Um, that said, I don't know how they continue together at this point. Sean Miller in Arizona, uh, almost regardless of what's on that wiretap, because we've already watched them lose a recruit, uh, Shaq's son, Sharif O'Neal. And not only did they lose him, they lost him to a Pac-12 rival in UCLA. He committed to UCLA on Tuesday. Um, 
it looks like Lonzo Trier's never playing college basketball again. Uh, certainly Raleigh Hawkins and DeAndre Ayton can't wait to get out of school. Like, they don't need this. Even though Raleigh Hawkins hasn't been connected to anything yet. I mean, he was like a book guy. And Book Richardson's been connected to a lot of stuff. So, like, uh, I'd be running out of college as quickly as possible. Um, the, this program is about to go through a downturn. If you Probably either way. But I think especially if you continue with Sean Miller. Because he's not going to be able to effectively recruit. Ask Roy Williams how difficult it became to recruit at North Carolina with this cloud hugging around his program. And that's when Roy Williams wasn't even really directly implicated in anything. And keep in mind, North Carolina was was actually vindicated, perhaps not in the public arena, but certainly by the NCAA. It just becomes um, very, very difficult to try to run a program when this is hanging above your head. And, um, and then if you're Arizona and you actually do stand by your coach because you do think the ESPN story is wrong and, you know, and, and it is possible that the ESPN story is wrong, like what else is out there? Because here's the truth. A guy who had worked with Sean Miller for more than a decade is facing federal prison. Like, what's he going to say when, when, uh, you know, when, when, when he starts cooperating, if he's not already cooperating? So, like, are, are you stand by Sean Miller now to fire him eight months from now? You know, when something else comes out? Mm-hmm. Beyond that, do you just want this? Everywhere you go on the road, everywhere you go anywhere, um, that stain is not going to go away. It is true that maybe the ESPN report will be wrong, uh, but Sean Miller in a common basketball fan's eyes is a cheater now. And that means Arizona's coach is a cheater. And you, you're just going to have to – how do you recruit under those circumstances? Um, does it just become more complicated um, than, than it needs to be and too complicated to actually effectively you know, work together? And so I, I think if I were Arizona – I, and if I were Sean, frankly, uh, I would be at this moment while we're talking, working through some sort of settlement where both of us can can break away, um, feel as good as we can good about the situation. Let Sean get on with trying to, vent, you know, trying to uh, find vindication and 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 save his name and let Arizona get on with the post Sean Miller era, because under given everything that's already happened, um. And all of the questions that remain, I just don't know if Sean Miller at Arizona is going to work going forward because the last big high-profile school we saw, quote, stand by their coach because, yes, some bad stuff clearly happened in the program, but we don't know if our coach really had anything to do with it. You know who that was, right? Louisville. And guess what happened? Eventually, it just, you know, there was something else. And I would suspect that with Sean Miller in Arizona, even if this ESP story doesn't get up, they're going to be something else. I mean, they, they have a, a former uh, assistant and close friend, Sean Millers, who is uh, either already cooperating with the United States government or is going to cooperate with the United States government. I don't think Book Richardson is going to uh, cover for Sean Miller, uh, you know, at the risk of, of putting himself in further legal trouble. And if he's not going to cover with Sean Miller, for Sean Miller, given everything we already know about some things that were going on with that, that within that program, um, then there's going to be stories to tell. And my guess would be if Arizona stands by Sean now, they're going to end up not standing by him at some point. And if, if, if that's a reasonable thing to assume, and it's also reasonable to assume even if you stand by him and nothing else ever comes of this, the next six months are going to be insane. The next two years are going to be insane. Can you recruit under this cloud? If not, what are you doing? 
I think if it's reasonable to assume all of that stuff as well, it is in probably both sides' best interest to just try to figure out a way to, um, to reach a settlement and move on. We don't know what else could come from discovery and the trial of Book Richardson and what could come between now and then. We're 13 months, 13 and a half months away from uh, his scheduled trial start date in April of 2019. So that alone could bring some things like if Arizona, if everything went as well as it possibly could for Sean in Arizona right now, you could find yourself uh, next spring in a, in a situation where things are, are brought up at trial that certainly make things look uh, even worse in hindsight. So that's something important to keep in mind. And then certainly um, there could be other things between now and then that could come up. With Sean here, if he if he's truly innocent and he believes that there's nothing, nothing to hide from here, uh, there could be a benefit to him trying to get out of this situation with Arizona um, – as smoothly as possible, uh, trying to maintain as much of his reputation as he can and knowing that it's going to take years for him to rebuild that, even if it's completely unfair. It's just unfortunately the fact of the matter now. You know, Sean's considered a top 20 coach in college basketball, and right now he's at a top 10 job. So it's extremely unlikely that he would be able to relocate to uh, the same level of gig that he has right now, even if he is completely innocent. And I mean completely 100%. That's just the reality of his career going forward. And it's an unfortunate one, but it is none, one nonetheless that I think that uh, that he's staring at. And the points you make about Arizona, I think, are, are fairly accurate. And uh, recovering from this is going to be interesting in the coming years, Um recruiting with Sean, it's not like it can't be done. You mentioned North Carolina. I will, you know, I have to bring up that they made back-to-back Final Fours and won a national championship yeah, in spite. No, that, that's true, but but talk to Roy Williams about how oh, difficult his, everything became because of that cloud. Well, no doubt, no, absolutely. Like, day-to-day, like, They won in spite of it, of the issues, and, and perhaps you could argue because of it, because it forced them to, to, to recruit you know, more three- and four-year players who ultimately helped them win a national championship. So I know that it didn't ruin North Carolina's program. I've actually written about that before. But it became – suddenly running North Carolina's program was was very difficult because of this cloud of, oh, man, the shoe's about to drop. And even though – and that was and that was cheating in a different way that that really didn't directly tie Roy Williams to anything, even if – some people thought it was naive to believe that that stuff could have gone on without Roy's knowledge on some level. Either way, my larger point is I don't know how Sean Miller can effectively run. You know how sometimes when a politician is caught up in a scandal, like it's Anthony Weiner, right? Uh, and, and like the, before he had to go to jail, when it was really just him, you know, uh, uh, sexting um, and, 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 and being uh, unfaithful to his wife, stuff that wouldn't necessarily affect his job performance. And so he could have reasonably still done his job, just like the, the mayor of Nashville, who uh, uh, just recently acknowledged an affair. You know, she's still the mayor of Nashville. Um, you know, she might have marital problems now. Um, and that's something her and her husband will need to work through if they choose to work through it. But she can still effectively do her job. President Clinton, I guess, would be another good example. But sometimes we get into a situation where a politician reaches a point and says, because of X, Y, and Z, it has become um, – impossible to to lead in the way that I need to lead. And and then they resign their position. That happens in, in, in politics all the time. I, I feel like this is similar. Like th- that that we could get to a point where Sean Miller ultimately says, um, I didn't do what that ESPN story says I did. Like I told you before, I still am confident I'm gonna be vindicated. But in this current climate of things and everything swirling, um it, it is not it's not possible for me to effectively lead the Arizona program 
my presence is doing more damage to that university um, than I ever imagined it would. And I've always said how much I love Arizona and how I will always put Arizona first. And I think the best way to put Arizona first right now um, is is for me to let somebody else um, run this program. And I uh, focus on clearing my name and I'll coach again somewhere. A little bit like what Al Franken said. You know, Al Franken said, I, I you know, I, Al Franken could have still done his job. But he decided, you know, he 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 resigned and said, "I just can't, I I can't do my job the way I want to do my job, given what is now connected to me." So I'm out. Does that make sense? Like I think Sean, like ultimately, could get to a similar place. Yeah, and it will. I mean, it's obviously going to be critical what we uh, what we discover later this week and in the weeks coming forward here, whatever we might be able to discover. And then meantime, in all of this. You know, Arizona is still has eight on the floor and is going to be in the, in, in the NCAA tournament. And it is going to be uh, it'll be fascinating to track that team as we as we head into March. Let's talk some on the court stuff, GP. Uh, uh, hold on, because um, this is still the biggest topic in commerce in college basketball. I've been on a 50 radio interviews over the past three days and nobody cares about the on the court stuff. Um, so let's let's assume that they do split, whether it's Wednesday or Thursday or whenever. Um, but ultimately, Sean Miller's not going to continue as the as the Arizona head coach. I wonder if your pit, if that influences what you do with Kevin Stallings, because I don't think there's any way you can hire Sean Miller anytime soon, because we we're not going to have a clear picture of what's going on with Sean Miller anytime soon. Um, but I wonder if your pit, if you say, hey, let's just hold on to Kevin Stallings for another year, even though it's a disaster so far. Because, A, we owe him a lot of money, and like uh, another year will save us money. But there's a scenario under which Sean Miller actually is vindicated at some point in the next 12 months. And then he's hireable. And then we can move on Kevin Stallings and hire Sean Miller because that will be about the best job he'll be able uh, to get. I wonder if the Sean Miller story doesn't have an impact on what other programs across America uh, do because um, – you know, if he is actually vind- – if he's not vindicated, his coaching career is probably over, or at least it should be. But if he is vindicated, he will coach again. And perhaps if he's if he's not quite vindicated but people just decide it's not the biggest thing in the world what he did, he, he will coach again. I just – obviously his name has been connected to Pitt every time the Pitt job's opened. Uh, I wonder if you're – how closely, if you're a Pitt administrator, are you paying attention to what happens in Tucson right now? Potentially. Uh Pitt's eight and twenty-two and hasn't won a game in the ACC and is not going to win a game in the ACC. So I don't know if it can realistically do that. I, I I'm expecting Pitt to make a coaching change this season um, and not bank on what may or may not happen with Sean Miller's situation. Um, that could be potentially dangerous and set the program back even further if if they did that. But they do owe Stallings a lot of money, and getting rid of a coach after just two years is uncommon. But the, that program is absolutely bottoming out. It would be fascinating, and uh, let's just within the context of of Miller being uh, mostly cleared here, him going to Pitt would be tremendous for that conference and that program. Um, if he was, you know, vindicated as he says he will be, uh, but still had to change jobs and then went to Pittsburgh, that would be quite a storyline and and very interesting. Uh, I don't think that's a likely outcome right now, but it certainly is one uh, that's intriguing to think about. And last thing on this topic, I mentioned it at the top, um, but I wanted to revisit it because you are a journalist, um, you're a reporter, you are someone who is active on Twitter. Um, 
it, it is at the very least interesting that Mark Schleyball hasn't tweeted a word since Sunday, and it's now Wednesday. And I didn't go through his entire Twitter feed, uh, but I just scrolled through like a few weeks, and, and there was not a day that I saw that he did not tweet. And I saw, I believe it's Jason Shear tweet that Schleyball tweeted literally every day of 2018 up until Monday. And then he didn't tweet again on Tuesday. Like that, 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 I don't know what it means, but it's interesting, right? Yeah. I mean, that could be, it could be a, a few different things here. I mean, it could be uh, from on high uh, at ESPN, or it could be, um, he knows that it's, there's just no point right now. The Arizona army is just absolutely out to get him. So what's the point in even tweeting? What's the point even having the, the app up? Like, why are you going to invite that into your life, you know? Um, so that could be certainly uh, something else as well with it. Um, reporter to reporter, I hope that Schleybaugh did not get burned by this. And, hey, there stands the possibility that he didn't because, um, you know, no one's out to bury Arizona and Sean Miller intentionally. You're getting information from sources and – you're going to go with those sources and, and, and trust that they are correct. Obviously, he did not hear the tape because there are no quotes. And actually, the fact that there are no quotes would indicate he didn't even uh, get sent a transcription of what was on the tape. It was just, here's what I heard. Dawkins and Miller are having a conversation. It was caught on wiretap, and that conversation deals with $100,000 and discussing DeAndre Ayton's recruitment and or commitment to Arizona. And and there we have it. So, um we wait on, on, on further judgment with that story and further information, I suppose, with whatever Arizona comes out and says, um, because we're not going to get anything public from the – I'm not expecting in any way, Parrish, in, in the near future. We're not going to get anything public from uh, the defendant side of the case or the FBI side of the case, barring the FBI, you know, either releasing a memo or holding another press conference saying, okay, here's the next stage – we got one or two more charges, or we got this much more information, and here's what we want to give you. If those things don't happen, we're not going to have any more clarity or, I guess, direct proof of, uh, of what was on that phone call. The scary thing from a reporter's perspective, and I, like you, I hope I got this, this story right. And I don't mean that because I'm rooting for Sean Miller's demise. I just think if he got it wrong, it's just, it, 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 it wrecks a lot of people's careers and lives for, for no good reason, including his own. You know, Mark Mark has done some a, a lot of unbelievable things in this profession. Um, carved out an, a great career for himself. Uh, been a best-selling author. Um, like I said on the previous podcast, he's a friend of mine. He and I have kind of sort of come up um, in this in this business together. We're both from the South, so we've had that connection. Um, we're around the same age. Um, we've known each other 15, 20 years, and I'm only 41 years old. So um, I, I hope you know I, I'm rooting for him here. Um, because the alternative to him getting the story wrong, uh, right, um, is him getting it wrong. And if he got it wrong, he's messed up his own career to some degree. I'll let ESPN deal with that. Um, but he's also messed up Sean's career and reputation forever. And though some have suggested Sean Miller's going to sue Mark Schleybaugh and ESPN, I saw this on Twitter, like Arizona fans, like, um, hope you have a good lawyer. Uh, Sean, I, I'll be shocked if Sean Miller, um, Sue's ESPN or Mark Schleybaugh, and here's why. Uh, I remember when you remember when the Chicago Sun Times reported 
that Anthony, Anthony Davis? Davis's dad had like gotten two hundred thousand dollars or some amount of money to go to Kentucky. They essentially like in the newspaper reported that he was going to get eight paragraphs uh, down. Yeah, it was a weird story, like a really weird story. I don't know how an editor didn't catch that and say, yo, 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 you have a uh, major rules violation reported in this story about um, a future Hall of Fame coach, one of the biggest brands in college basketball, and the number one high school player in the country. And it's in the eighth paragraph. That doesn't make sense. This is either the lead that we put on the front of our entire newspaper or it's not a story at all. I, I'll never understand how that story got reported the way it got sto- reported other than it was just not very good reporting and terrible editing. But either way, everybody was like, they're going to sue and sue and sue. And I remember going on a radio station, and they asked me, so, uh, so what happens if Anthony Davis's family sues the Chicago Sun-Times? And I said, oh, they're not suing the Chicago Sun-Times. And, they, and the host was like, oh, well, they said they're going to sue the Chicago Sun-Times. I said, yeah, people always say they're going to sue. I can't tell you how many times people have told me, I'm going to sue you. I'm going to sue the commercial appeal. I'm going to sue CBS. I'm going to own CBS by the time that people do not sue. And especially people like Anthony Davis's family or college basketball coaches do not sue because the last thing, uh, because if you're Anthony Davis's family and you sue the Chicago Sun-Times, well, they get to depose you as well. And you're going to go under oath and they're going to start asking you a whole bunch of uncomfortable questions that you have no interest answering. Like John Calipari. And I mean this, like I'm not even trying to hint at anything other than uh, it could be John Calipari, Bill Self, Mike Krzyzewski, anybody like name the high major coach. Wouldn't let Anthony Davis's family sue. You think John Calipari wants to get on a stand, put his hand on a Bible, and, touch, and start and, and, and let a, an attorney start asking him questions under oath about his entire career? Well, have you ever done anything like? Well, you, no way. So I don't think Sean Miller suing ESPN because Sean Miller don't want to have to answer the questions under oath that he'd have to answer under those circumstances. So I don't think this will lead to a, a lawsuit, but it um, it has already led to a, a, a messy situation, and that's why, like I said. Um, I, I hope he got the story right, because if he got the story right, then Sean Miller gets what he gets, and he deserved it, and then, like, good story. But to get the story wrong means you really, like, ruined Sean Miller's reputation and career, at least messed it up badly, uh, maybe cost him millions of dollars, and then also you did some self-inflicted damage as well, and that's just bad for everybody. And so, um, you know, we'll, we'll see where this goes, but, um, you know, it's uh, – it's 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 clearly a it's turned into something that I think on Friday night we can at least agree on this. On Friday night we didn't think it would turn into this. We thought that by Wednesday Sean Miller'd be done, um, and and then we'd all be on to our our next stories. Um, but it's turned into this. And like you said about the wiretap, um, it seems pretty clear to to me, and I've been told this as well, that that Mark did not hear the wiretap, not with his own ears, and that many, means he was taking somebody's word for it. And perhaps we're getting too inside journalism here, but woo boy. I mean, you just taking somebody's word for something on something like this is really scary. And beyond that, you know, Mark is more of a football guy than a basketball guy. My point being only this. Um, you know, you and I and, and most reporters in, in, who cover any sport have sources that we trust, that we've known for years, and sometimes more than a decade that we've used, that we can trust, that if the guy picked me up, uh, picked up the phone right now and called me and said, Coach X is resigning later today, I could feel comfortable going with that because I know who this guy is. I know who he knows. I know what he knows. Um, he's never burned me before. It, with Schleyball working on this story, he doesn't have a relationship with any of the assistant coaches that were arrested. Can't possibly have real relationships with any of them. And these lawyers don't even live in our world for the most part. 
my point being, these are probably people he's met only recently. Doesn't have like a 10 year relationship with them. And it does look like he was, he was trusting their word to go with what was on that wiretap. And again, the story might still turn out to be right, but there have, there's some, there's some issues with it. And there's already been multiple corrections to it. Um, that's a scary thing to trust somebody under those circumstances for something this big, isn't it? Uh, certainly. No, absolutely. You, uh, you kind of hit on all the notes that needed to be hit on there. And this is obviously turned into a story more than just about what Sean Miller may or may not have said on a phone conversation with Christian Dawkins, but the nature of investigative journalism and uncovering potential NCAA scandals, how the media handles that. Uh, the public reaction to those uh, media reports and a, a greater question of, of what stories should be run to what level, how they should be vetted. There's a whole bunch of things here that I think have captured a lot of uh, readers, viewers, fans, um, curiosities, and, and obviously the ire of the Arizona fan base, which is quite clearly um, at DEFCON 1 right now, un- undoubtedly. Um, so I get all that, and... Uh, We'll see. We're recording this Wednesday morning, and I have to believe by Thursday at about 3 Eastern at the latest, we will have more information officially out of Arizona. But who knows? Maybe it comes later today. It's just a matter of um, what that board of trustees, that president, that athletic director, and anyone else tied into that legally um, is deciding upon for the near future. Because you can't have... Okay, uh, Sean's also not going to coach Thursday night, and uh, we'll catch it back up with you Monday. That would not be the right call for me, and that's not what I'm expecting from Arizona. I think the next statement will be much more clear about the three- to four-week, if not beyond, uh, future with Arizona and Sean. And so let me put a bow on this by saying this. Um, Obviously, we're scheduled to record another podcast on Friday morning. I would, like Norlander, assume that the Sean Miller situation is resolved. One way or another, by then, or at least there's a new step in it. Um, at the you know at the latest, we'll talk about it on Friday morning. But if something significant happens between now and then, and we have time uh, between now and then, we might squeeze in a, as Norlander described it on the last podcast, emergency podcast, um, to address um, this Sean Miller situation because obviously it's a it's a massive massive situation. Let's move on. Um, like I said, the biggest story in college basketball remains connected to off-the-court stuff. But on the court Tuesday night was pretty awesome. St. Bonaventure Davidson went to triple overtime on CBS Sports Network. Uh, Bonaventure ends up winning that game to keep its at-large uh, hopes alive. And that game uh, immediately followed a Miami-North Carolina game where we got uh, you know, a, a, a shot from Joel Berry that appeared to uh, be a shot that would force overtime in Chapel Hill. Um, instead, um, Miami runs down the court, uh, launches from, I don't know, about 40 feet. Uh, it goes in, game over. I, I think you tweeted this last night, and I completely agree. If you're looking for, like, just a perfect 10 seconds of basketball, big shot on one end, rush it back up the court, big shot on one end that goes through the hoop the same time the backboard lights up as the clock is expiring – uh, that's about as good as it gets. Uh, let's start with Carolina-Miami, then we'll get to Bonaventure-Davidson. Just a fun basketball game, huh? Hey, listen, I, I'm 
personally thrilled to talk some hoops here because uh, there's, there's a lot of cool things going on with, uh, with the bubble and the brackets, and now Miami's locked into the tournament because of this win. They were probably going to get in anyway, but this is like they're locked. They can lose every game they have from here until Selection Sunday. They're going to be in, no questions about it. This was what, uh, what did it. And Jaquan Newton hitting that shot. How about this? This dude has hit five three-pointers the entire season, including that one. He's 5 of 25. He's not exactly the go-to guy behind the perimeter. And Larenega, credit to him, he did not call timeout. He saw, um, you know, Barry hits it. Miami's good to go to turn it, and Newton's got the ball, and hey, gets a nice step. I understand there are some uh, travel truthers out there. I actually am not – I don't think he traveled. I think he picked it up, got one step, hit the second running – and it wasn't a travel, but I know that UNC fans, on top of uh, having horror flashbacks, um, wanted to fight the fact that uh, that the official, one, didn't call the travel. Two, if you watch the video, <laughs> Newton hits the winner. The, the players start just running out to him. And as the official is, like, signaling to the scorer's table that it's good, first of all, it's it's like he's he's throwing down. He's just like... It's good, and 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 he's almost in the pile with Miami. It's a funny visual, almost like he's unintentionally like getting right there in with him with the celebration and all that. Huge win for Miami, North Carolina. Here's the thing: where Barry made the three, even though the shots weren't the same, the actual shots, the spots on the floor, Barry was very close to where Marcus Page hit his three, and then Newton was relatively close to where Chris Jenkins hit his. So it's even like the same size of the court. The way that happened, it was very. Uh, very Villanova over North Carolina in the 2016 National Championship game. And Barry said afterward, I don't know why people – I'm paraphrasing here, but he's like, yeah, I don't know why people got to keep doing this to us, man. <laughs> Marcus Page just tweeted, damn, right as the game ended. Obviously, Page feels that pain as much as anyone, uh, even though he wasn't involved in that specific game last night. I thought that was pretty interesting. And for Carolina, just real quick here, they now have to go to Duke um, and try and sweep Duke. And, and that – they might. I mean – They've got a, they've got a shot to do it, I guess. Um, they they were uh, they were efficient and impressive earlier this month when they were able to beat Duke in Chapel Hill, but UNC could easily drop this game here on Saturday, get to twenty two and nine, and I you know I, I think they've probably played themselves out of the out of uh, a two seed. Maybe if they won every game from here until the ACC tournament final, including winning that, they might end up on that two line. That's a potential. Uh, outcome, but I don't think that's going to be the case there. Overall, just a really fun game. Uh, Barry finishes his career at home with 31 points, which tied his career high. Um, and uh, and just what a whiplash! I mean, he hits the tying shot, and then Miami comes back. And Miami, not only are they in, but they could very well be in a very precocious situation because they barely beat Boston College on Saturday. They needed a Lonnie Walker three-pointer to put them up over BC with like three seconds to go. So they win that, and then they get it over UNC, um, which they were leading most of the game, but had it gone to overtime on the road. could be tricky. So instead of being 19-10 and 10 and firmly on that fence, they are 21-8 and eight and uh, a seven seed right now. Jake one shot. You know what it was. It was the opposite of Dozer, Dozer for the championship. Yeah, <laughs> it was. It was like it was like Dozier for the championship, except it didn't go into the third row. It went right into the hoop, and so the game was over. And by the way, this is why I would never, if I ever, if I am ever lucky enough to run a college basketball program, and I'm still not ruling it out, I would never, under any circumstances, have senior day festivities after the game. Yeah, great point. What is with that? 
do it before the game. Everybody's excited. Well, the okay. Well, a problem with doing it before the game could be what happened in Rhode Island. Yeah, is that well, everybody's yeah. crying before the game. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> like Dan Hurley's crying and EC Matthews is crying and everybody's crying and they went out and got beat by freaking thirty points by St. Joseph's, which is just bizarre. Oh, I, ridiculous outcome. Yeah. Dude, they were thirteen point favorites and they lost by thirty. That is the biggest swing in point spread in the entire college basketball season. It's a forty three point swing from what it was supposed to be. Um, so maybe that's the reason you don't do it before the game. Like everybody gets emotional wreck and it just comes out in like, Ugh. but, um, I would, I would risk it, whatever you're risking, just do it before the game while everybody feels good about everything. Cause how are you supposed to go out there and celebrate your careers at the Jaquan Newton just hit a buzzer beater on you? Like it just rips that's just, all of the energy out of the building. That's one step short of bringing out a ladder and cutting down a net. <laughs> Who did that? Come on, man. You've already mentioned him on this podcast. Tommy Green? That's right. That is the story, right? Come on, man. Yeah. You still have <laughs> that shirt, right? Someone made up a shirt, did they not? I have them somewhere. Yes, they're in my closet somewhere. Yes, I have them. You got to I still don't have one. You got to bring one. Um you can't spell ladder without Tom Green or, yeah, something. or something like that. <laughs> Shout out to whomever made that. Um I can't I can't remember who. It was 2 years ago I think we talked about this. Sure. Anyway, yeah, that's when, when Tom was winning another uh, uh, Yeah, they like they won the Big Ten regular season when championship, Tom, but they lost Tom the game. Winning at another outright Big Ten title. Yeah. Um they so, lost the game though, but they still brought out a ladder. Yeah, that's rough. I just I would do my senior day festivities pregame because you you look at those North Carolina kids last night and it's like, you know, you just lost. Like, nobody likes losing. And like, and you can't possibly feel as good as you would like to feel about that ceremony uh, when you just lost in front of your home crowd in such a remarkable way. So, yeah, I, I've, I've never understood that. Dating back, like, however long I've been watching college basketball, senior day festivities after a game. Because I think when I was in college, my senior year, maybe, at Memphis, Memphis held its senior day festivities after the game. And it, I just remember, like, they lost the game. And so there was Omar Sneed, like, you know, like all pissed off having to, be, you know, have his two-year career at Memphis celebrated. It was, like, weird. It was just a weird feeling. And um, I imagine what, what happened last night at the Dean Smith Center was a, a weird feeling. But a, a, a fun game and an unbelievable ending. St. Bonaventure Davidson, triple OT, and the Bonnies end up winning. But after, like, everybody fouled out. Everybody scored at least 30 points. Uh, you wrote about it late last night. Uh, that was as fun of a college basketball game as you can get. Uh, this was tremendous, and yeah, I had the uh, had the, the two TVs going, and it was quite uh, quite a fun night there as as the night uh, dragged on here on Tuesday. Um, and five players scored more than thirty points. That hasn't happened in at least twenty years, and I honestly don't think it's happened more than ten times ever in the history of the sport. Think about how many points you need to score in a game in a forty minute game, or Potentially overtime here, we had we had 55 minutes worth of play to get five dudes getting at least 30. Um, so that alone was was bizarre. Peyton Aldridge went for 45 in the loss, and the way he fouled out was BS. The way Jalen Adams fouled out was BS. He obviously is the Bonnie star, a guy we had on our top 101 list before the season started. He had 34, and had both of them still been on the floor? The game could have been even better, but Matt Mobley came to the rescue. He had 11 points in the third overtime. A lot of those at the foul line to get Bonaventure the win. Um, they are still, yes, they are still in the tournament as of right now. 
and I think they can afford to lose one more game and still get in. It's just a matter of how that loss comes, but this one was critical. Losing at home against Davidson, and then if you combine that with another iffy loss, like they got to go to St. Louis. It's a road game. I don't know... I don't know if that will be detrimental if they lose it. I think it potentially could be. So if you would have combined a potential loss to St. Louis with Davidson, yeah, they'd probably be on the outside looking in. This gave them a little bit of insurance overall. And Bonaventure's good, man. Like they have the they have the backcourt between Mobley and Adams to do some damage in the tournament. They they are dangerous. They are fun. And this year's big dance would be better if the Bonnies were in. I will say this, Davidson, the way that it plays. And I was talking with uh, Dan Hurley about this when I went up to Rhode Island a few weeks ago. He said, prepping for Davidson is so different from anyone else in the league just because of how they run their offense and how they move the ball. It's just it, the, the scout for it's different. Uh, prepping for it, it can be hell. You just don't know what to expect. So I say that to say the A-10 at best would be a three-bit league. And in order for that to happen, uh, we'll see how the bracket breaks here. But you might need Bonaventure... Uh, and Davidson to face off each other against each other again, and that be the only other loss the Bonnies have this season. Then Davidson gets the auto bid because Rhode Island's going to get in. They're going to get in with ease here. Uh, and Davidson's good enough. It has the personnel and the scheme and the coaching to do that. So that's actually the best potential outcome for the A-10. We'll see if it happens. They can do it. Uh, I'm not sure that it'll happen, but that game was awesome. 117-113, triple OT, a lot of fun, a lot of scoring. Uh, like 75 three-pointers were <laughs> attempted, a little too many fouls, but overall that was a, that was a good time in Olean. You mentioned what Peyton Aldridge got. You mentioned what Jalen Adams got. Um, Kellen Grady got 39. You know, he's, he, he's not a one-and-done guy. He's not Marvin Bagley or DeAndre Ayton, so people haven't talked about him too much. You know, he doesn't play in the ACC or the Big 12. Um, but he's one of the best freshmen in the country, averaging like 17 points a game for a good team. You know, Davidson's a top 60 Ken Palm team right now. Though St. Bonaventure is better positioned to go to the NCAA tournament. Um, if you look at Ken Palm, it, it says that Rhode Island's the best team in the A-10, but that Davidson is actually the second best team in the A-10, and, and they certainly looked the part last night. Kellen Grady, is he's going to play in the NBA. I could 100% see him in the NBA. Yeah. He's got he's, talent, man. He's really good. Uh, top 100 guy, four-star prospect that enrolled at Davidson. I think he was like... 95th, 96th in the class of 2017. But we were sitting in there, obviously, watching that game. Oh, by the way, so we had a triple header last night. It was Rhode Island, uh, St. Joseph's on CBS Sports Network. I was in studio with uh, Brent Stover, John Rothstein, and, and Danny Granger. And so that, that was the first game, Rhode Island, St. Joe's. And then we had Davidson, um, uh, uh, St. Bonaventure, and it was followed by San Diego State, uh, whoever San Boise Diego State, State was playing. Uh, who was San Diego State playing? Boise State. Yeah, Boise State, right? That was a tough loss for Boise State. That probably yeah. guarantees they, they cannot get an at-large bid to the NCAA tournament. Anyway, here's what I'm trying to present. Uh, the the Davidson-St. Bonaventure game went so long that we didn't even have a halftime show for San Diego State's game. It did. We did not, as a network, we were not able to join San Diego State-Boise State until after halftime. It was like 15.50 to go, I remember. I was watching the game, and I saw when they cut, too. I was like, oh, my God, this game's already in the second half. So, so it took forever. But we're sitting in studio, and um, uh, Kellen Grady was just, un like, really, because re we were watching the game closely. And he's, he's got pro stuff. I'm not pretending he's going to enter the NBA draft after this year or even early. But I, if we look up in six years, and Kellen Grady is playing in the NBA. That won't surprise me at all. Like, uh, Bob McKillop has got him. You know, he's had a string of really good guards dating back to and perhaps before, certainly back to Steph Curry. 
Um, but but Kellen Grady is, a, is is definitely the next one. Just a tremendous freshman. If you get a chance to watch him, uh, you should. Let's look ahead, and I know we don't have much time, so let's bounce through these things. Um, uh, Thursday, uh, not much going on Wednesday night in college basketball, at least uh, on, on paper. But Thursday, there are a couple of interesting games. Uh, one that's uh, probably on everybody's radar, another one not so much. Number one, Virginia at Louisville. Uh, you know, the, 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 obviously Virginia's going to be favored in that game. They are ranked number one in the country for a while. But going into Yum Center, though easier this year than it has been in years past, um, it's still a difficult challenge. You think Virginia's at risk there? Uh, a little bit, and you know, I understand the game won't be an urgent watch for a lot of people. But Virginia's twenty-six and two. Um, you know, number one overall seed is a, is a thing that obviously coaches and programs have a lot of pride in. So. Potentially, Virginia would need to win this game in order to give itself its best shot at a number one overall seed. Because if it lost this one, then something wild happens, like it gets picked off in the quarters of the ACC tournament. Well, then it might not have the case for for number one overall seed status. I think Virginia's pretty much guaranteed a one seed, uh, barring I, I even with three straight losses, it might, it might still get a one. Um, so that's really what's on the line for Virginia. For Louisville, it's in the field as of now. And it would not be a lock, in my opinion, if it beat Virginia, but it would be really, really close to get a win of that much value um, this late into the season to boost its resume. So it's a huge opportunity for the Cardinals, and I think they're going to lose by double digits, even at home. Um, I think Virginia's going to come out and play really, really well. I will take the Wahoos to take this with Louisville. I think Louisville's going to be one of the true 3-5 to five teams that will have its season end. And we will go into Selection Sunday, and you're going to have um, half the bracketologists have Louisville in the field and the other half not. I'm with you. I, I think Virginia I, – I, I don't know about wins by double digits, but I don't think they're going to be in the final two minutes and in trouble. I got suckered into, hey, Louisville, Yum Center, Cardinals are playing uh, you know, uh, you know, fairly well uh, a few Saturdays ago. And then North Carolina went in there and just, just ran them off the court. And the truth is, though, Louisville has a bunch of good wins – um, they don't have any great wins other than maybe a road win at Florida State that registers as a quad one win. Uh, but they haven't beaten a single top 25 Ken Palm team. Well, they, they've got the win at Virginia Tech as well. So that would be a quad one win as well. And that's obviously good. But they haven't beaten a single team that is currently ranked in the top 25 at Ken Palm. My point being, they haven't beat anybody like Virginia all year long. I don't think that'll change on a Thursday night. And the other one is probably going to decide the CUSA championship. The two quality teams, Western Kentucky at number 24, Middle Tennessee. I suspect that um, playing in Murfreesboro, uh, Middle Tennessee should be able to handle that, but still an interesting CUSA game. Interesting because Western Kentucky um, has – I don't – I haven't crunched the numbers yet, I, and I'm going to sit down this weekend if possible. I'll also be in New York City at the Big Ten tournament, so we'll see if I have time. Perhaps one of uh, the quarterfinal games will be boring, and I'll just I'll just kill some time by by really looking at some resumes here. Um, Western Kentucky has that win. Remember, way back when they beat Purdue uh, in the Bahamas, and they've done well in the league, um, and they have a lot of road wins. So I I don't think that they are knocking on the door here of getting into the field. But if they if they were to win at Middle Tennessee and then they finish up at UAB to get two more wins, um, one, it could it could muck up some things with, with CUSA because Middle Tennessee is also building itself a very nice at-large case if it can get the job done here, uh, beat, beat Western Kentucky and then beat Marshall on, on Saturday. But that I'm glad we're talking about it. That's a, that's a game of, of a lot of importance uh, in CUSA that is on CBS Sports Network at 8 o'clock on Thursday night. If you haven't seen either of these teams, they are worth watching. Both are pretty good overall. And Middle Tennessee in general, 
They've got Giddy Potts, who's been who's been around and been involved in their past two NCAA tournament victories that they've had. Nick King is a transfer, formerly of GP. That's my little homie from Memphis. There we go. Memphis, and he played at Alabama. He's their best player overall. Um, grad transfer has made a big difference with this team. It is an older Middle Tennessee team. Kermit Davis has this thing rolling, and um, i got to think he'll get some job offers here, uh, given how consistent he's been, uh, age be damned overall. That's the best game to me on Thursday night. And then Friday, we're going to have the Big Ten quarterfinals, but we don't have any idea who's playing, so uh, you know we'll figure that out later. Uh, but on Friday night... Um, and I love these good Friday night A-10 games. Like, they're fun. Uh, and we got another one uh, this Friday. It's uh, number 17, Rhode Island, at Davidson. So two teams we've already talked about in, in different ways. But, man, can you imagine Rhode Island? Like, they secure their first league title since 1981. They turned it into an outright A-10 title. It's the first A-10 title that they've ever won. And they might close the regular season with two straight losses because they're going to be underdogs at Davidson. And I think they'll probably get caught. Yeah, if I'm picking one or the other, mm, man, this is tough. I would pick I would pick Davidson to win that. Um, and Rhode Island could really torpedo its seed here, yeah. Uh, potentially salvage it if it can win the A10 tournament and and do that by beating uh, Davidson and or Bonaventure en route to doing that. Um, but if it doesn't, like if it loses at Davidson and then it gets picked off in a bad way in the A10, like it's going to go from being on that four line in my opinion to dropping down to the eight nine game, and that's just a disaster. Like you, if you're on the four line, okay, let's make a Sweet 16, and then we deal with the one seed then potentially. Um, but then eight nine, you turn around on a, on two days if you can even get past that eight nine game and facing a top seed potentially. So this is uh this is obviously critical. It would really help Rhode Island situation here if it could if it could win this game. Davidson doesn't have a chance at it at large, even if it's uh ranked fairly high in Ken Palm. I just don't think it'll have the resume to validate inclusion. And so Davidson uh will want to get this win to get momentum going into the A ten tournament. But ultimately, as I said earlier, it's danger. Uh it, as a threat is uh is just being being run differently than the other team in the conference, and they've got the talent, the shooting, to uh, to seal that auto bid. And obviously they'll be on the road, uh, Rhode Island will, and that's that's always difficult. Yeah, I think Davidson uh, probably wins that game, and you're exactly right. You know, uh, heading into that game last night, we were talking on television, and somebody suggested, you know, Rhode Island's already got everything wrapped up. And I'm like, no, no, no. They've got everything wrapped up in the A-10. You know, they got the trophies on the way, but they're playing for a C. They've got an opportunity to be a 4-5. And if you mess this up, I mean, that could go to 8-9 pretty quickly. And, like, there's you can't mess it up worse than losing, like, 30 at home to St. Joseph's. And now you go lose at Davidson. And then almost regardless of what you do in the A-10 tournament, you're probably hovering around that 8-9 spot. And that's just a killer. You know, you're better off being a 12 seed than you are being in, a, in, in an 8 or a 9 if your goal is to get to the second weekend. Because as a 12 seed, you got to just knock off a 5, then probably knock off a 4, and boom, you can get there. As a 8-9 uh, you know, even if you, you you win your first game against a comparable team, well, now you're running into Villanova. Now you're running into Virginia. Now you're running into Kansas. And, yeah, you can beat those teams, but good luck. It doesn't normally happen. And so um, it's possible that the, the close of this regular season could end up being the thing that actually prevents Rhode Island from getting to where so many people thought it could get, and that's um, the second weekend of the NCAA tournament. Shouts. To Devin Downey, shouts to Chester, South Carolina, shouts to Terry, MF, and Teagle, the legend. And remember, you can subscribe to the Ion College Basketball Podcast via Apple Podcasts. Please go do that. It helps a lot. It matters in ways that our bosses notice. So um, if you've been with us from the beginning and um, you now notice that we sound differently, like you can hear us and our levels are, are mostly the same, um, you know, make a note of that over 
uh, at Apple Podcasts. Five stars and nice comments. That's all we ask. We truly, truly appreciate it. And honestly, we truly appreciate you being here, even if you don't have the time to go do that. Remember, we will talk to you again on Friday morning at the latest. But if something big happens with this Sean Miller situation, we could uh, we could schedule an emergency Ion College Basketball Podcast. Of course, we'll let you know uh, via Twitter. Either way, we'll talk to you again soon. Until then, take care.